From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I wanted to start today, Wendy, with something that uh, I didn't run by you. Um, <laughs> no, it's not an oh, it's a comment from someone who uh, attended the virtual conference that we did last month, and was especially moved by your presentation. Oh, that's neat. And I wanted to read this and then share a little commentary. It's not so much a question. Uh, she just had some comments she wanted to share, and I think it's it's something that you and I can uh, can talk into and, and blow the lid off some misconceptions out there. So this is what she said. This is from Lori. She said, I recently participated in the Theology of the Body online conference. It was phenomenal. Many excellent speakers and solid information. But I found your talk, Wendy, at that conference, one of the most courageous, enlightening, and honest talks of the whole conference. Mm. So thank you so very much for coming forward and being honest that even though you were married to a man who was going around the country speaking about marriage, you were struggling. I think our Lord God allows these trials and crosses to carry, to draw us closer to him and to share in his sufferings. And you were chosen for that at that time. Yet, she goes on to say, it can be painful, but you hung in there and kept it together. You kept going. It was useful for those of us on the outside hearing your talk who often look at people like you and Christopher as having it all together, and only if God had given me a spouse like the one you got, I would have a great marriage. This also shows us that regardless of any job or work the Lord has asked of us, as he has asked Christopher with Theology of the Body, it doesn't mean we are not suffering like everyone else. So true, so true, so true. She concludes by saying, Wendy, your talk confirmed for me that we should never judge as I was thinking you, <laughs> this is what I have to, sorry, sorry, Lori, but I have to laugh a little bit. She says, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. It's just so, it's so, just so, um, it's bless you, Lori. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the fact of how off this is from reality. She says, I was thinking you had a perfect marriage. That's why I'm laughing because you and I know darn well. We do not. And uh, and she says, thinking you guys had a perfect marriage, I was complaining, why didn't I get one? And also, it helps others to know that we all suffer at times. You are beautiful, Wendy, courageous, and I thank you. Mm, you're welcome, Lori. I couldn't agree more. You are beautiful and courageous, Wendy. And uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to to share that with the listeners because... Yeah, I know. I know. I, I laughed there because it's so not true that we have a perfect marriage. But I know what it's like to to look up to people who who are in the public eye and have inspired me. And we have this tendency to to imagine there's somebody out there who's has the secret, who's figured it out, who somehow overcome the human condition. And and I will confess that when I discovered this theology of the body when I was in my early 20s, 
I, I thought, yeah, this is the secret. This is the key. This is going to make life so much better. And it does do that. But there's no detour around the human condition. And you and I have, have been very open publicly about our real struggles. It's because you're broken and I'm broken, and we brought our brokenness with us. I would say that the, the light the theology of the body provides illuminates the pathway through the cross to the resurrection. But there's no detour. There is no detour. Any thoughts you want to share about that, my love? Uh, I'm grateful to Lori for her honesty and taking the time to put all that into words. Um, I certainly know that you and I have um, sensed that that's, that's a struggle when uh, for our listeners, for your audiences, for people to kind of hear something beautiful. Um, and I don't want to say that you aren't a wonderful husband or that I, you know, I want our listeners to know that I really appreciate the insights that you have about, say, about femininity that are maybe many people in your audiences, many women are wishing they had a husband who had those insights or that respect or those kinds of things. And I, so I, I don't want to, you know, downplay that there's something beautiful I think what can happen is that when we feel in our hearts a little longing, oh, I wish, I wish my husband said that, or I wish this man in my life spoke like Christopher does, um, is that that one thing becomes, it's sort of inevitable that in our minds and hearts, then every perfect thing somehow becomes concentrated in Christopher. You know, if, if there's that one thing that we're longing right, for, then colors the whole... everything we're longing for is probably in that person, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm, you know, and you are both prey to that kind of thing as well. You, know, sure. you can be having a little sensitive part in your heart and you see someone who seems to be able to meet that in a better way. And then suddenly every sensitive place you think, Oh, and like from your perspective, oh, she would probably be this and this and this to me. And, you know, that whole stirring um, is is so natural and human. And it kind of is if you don't know any better, if you don't know us any better than that one encounter, then you can just assume, gosh, they have it great. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's here's the one takeaway from from this. This is what I would like the listeners to to hear that. The human condition is a painful one. There's so much hope. There's so much promise. There's plenty of goodness. But being human is, is painful. And we like to imagine, because we're in pain, we like to imagine there's somebody out there who's, who's figured it out, who's, who's conquered, who's overcome, who has the secret. And it's just not true. There's this crazy line in the gospel that really leapt out at me recently. Uh, it was during Lent this year that it leapt out at me. Jesus says, the Son of Man must be uh, rejected, he must be 
he must suffer greatly and be killed. And then he says, follow me. <laughs> okay, okay. The pathway, the pathway to glory, which is what we all desire. And, and this is what, as followers of Christ, this is the pathway we, we claim to be on. We want this glory. We want this perfect life. And that's a good desire. Praise God we want this perfect life. But we often have, uh, I certainly have had throughout much of my life, a false notion of what that life is going to look like or the pathway to that perfect life, how that's going to go. How will it go? How will the pathway to the perfect life go? Here's what Jesus says. The pathway to the perfect life is you must suffer greatly, be rejected, and die. That's the pathway to glory. And that's why Christianity, for all its glorious promises, is always resisted. It's never just wholeheartedly embraced by, by a nation or a culture because of that rub of the cross. Uh, so we try in our ministry to be transparent about that. And I know the people who've blessed me the most are, are those who have been transparent about that. So that's all I want to say about that. Uh, the Lord is with you in your being rejected, in your suffering, and in the deaths that you have to die. If we could look at those sufferings, not as, I wish I could get out of all of this, and maybe there are situations, you know, we have to pray that serenity prayer, Lord, give me the wisdom to know the things I can change, the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, that's, that's, that is wisdom. That's right. We shouldn't just, not just doormats to just accept all sufferings that come our way. We can change things. We can make a difference. Uh, that's all appropriate. But in the end, the sufferings that the Lord has allowed in your life, this is your pathway to glory. Be not afraid. Keep going. Keep going. That's, mm. that's what I wanted to say about that. Mm. Wendy, you're my pathway to glory, and I, I love you in, in all the joys and all the trials, the good times, the bad times, uh, the ways you bless and affirm me, the ways that sometimes you just don't know how to bless and affirm me, and that's okay. That's, that's part of the journey, and, and I want you to know I love you there, and I rejoice that you have been given to me by the Lord to take me to glory. Same. Amen. All right. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> so we ended our last episode on a cliffhanger question. Yeah. About the litany of humility. Yes. Can you just revisit that? Because I want to say a little bit question. more about that. Sure. That was um, from Katrina. Hey, Katrina. Here we go. We're continuing as we promised we would. Okay, Katrina, here's the question again. It says, I recently came across the litany of humility, and I'm wondering about how to reconcile this line from the desire of being loved, deliver me, O Jesus, with marriage. My understanding is that the love of God is sufficient. However, if a marriage is a reflection of the marriage we'll have with God in heaven, then shouldn't we desire our spouse to love us? Also, we were created to love and be loved. Therefore, why should I pray to not desire love when that's precisely what I was created for? 
I love this question, Katrina. It is so important that we understand the litany of humility rightly. This is what we were talking about at the end of the last episode. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're just going to need more time to unpack this. So I have the litany of humility here. I'm going to pull it up on my computer and I'm going to read it as it is. And uh, then we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. So it begins, Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being calumnated, Deliver me, O Jesus, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, O Jesus, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected, that others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be esteemed more than I. Grant me the grace to desire it, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be chosen and I set aside that others may be praised and I go unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it, that others may become holier than I, provided I may become as holy as I should, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. Now, what I said last week and what I want to build on here is that that can be rightly understood and that can be wrongly understood. Uh, to understand it rightly will take you on a beautiful, if painful, journey of purification into the heart of Jesus, to understand it wrongly will take you on a path that is destructive of your humanity. And I am concerned that because we live in an age of such poor catechesis, I've been traveling the world for over 25 years, and I have a good read on on what's going on in the church. Uh, and <laughs> we are in a catechetical crisis. People don't know their faith. And so when we are not properly formed, when words um, don't, don't connect rightly to their true meaning and what the church understands by, by words and how the church uses words, we hear things very wrongly. We attach meaning to them that, does, that is not the real meaning. And I am very concerned, actually, about how people misunderstand this litany of humility. And it's been, a, it's been a sore spot for me because these things that we're praying to be delivered of, the desire to be esteemed, to be loved, to be honored, to be extolled, these are all not bad desires in themselves. <laughs> we are made for glory. We are made to be glorified by God. Uh, forgive me for quoting one of my favorite stupid movies, uh, Nacho Libre. Don't you want a little taste of the glory? See what it tastes like. <laughs> that is a genuine human desire to be esteemed and loved and to, 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 be, to experience glorification. However, we tend to take these desires in wrong directions. It's not the desire itself from which we should be delivered. It's from the desire to seek those things, love, esteem, glorification, honor, in the wrong ways, in the wrong places. 
what you might call in a worldly sense, mm -hmm. to be loved as the world loves, to be honored as the world honors, to be esteemed as the world esteems. That's what this prayer, properly understood, is saying, deliver me from these things. Not from the genuine desires that the Lord has put in our hearts to be loved, to be honored, to be respected, even to be glorified. But here's the key line, I think. Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Mm -hmm. Then he says, I praise you, Father, for you have given your glory to me from all eternity. I praise you for this gift. And then he says, and I have given to them, meaning us as disciples, the glory you gave to me. Father, as you have loved me, so have I loved them. This is the love we're made for. So the prayer of humility is a desire, is a prayer rightly understood, not to crush the real desires of our hearts for love, for esteem, for respect, to be recognized, to be acknowledged, even to be glorified, but to learn how to direct them in the right way. So I was on a retreat a couple years ago in which the priest who was leading me on the retreat invited me to write my own litany of humility. And, and I took the words from this litany of humility that we're all familiar with, and I put it in my own words, and I, I took out the, the chance that it would be misunderstood by my own heart. So I'm going I'm to read it. It went like this. From the desire to be esteemed, loved, extolled, honored, and praised by the world, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire to be better than others, preferred to others, and seen as important in the eyes of others, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, despised, rejected, rebuked, slandered, forgotten, ridiculed, misunderstood, wronged, suspected, deliver me, Jesus. Keep me in peace when others are esteemed more than I, when others are chosen and I'm set aside, when others are praised and I'm unnoticed, when others are preferred and I'm rejected. Grant me the grace, Lord, of communion with you in these moments. Grant me the grace to work for, suffer for, and pray for the holiness of others, especially those I find hardest to love. So that was just my, my, my own expression of, of what I believe is at the heart of the litany humility properly understood. And I'll share one more thing, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts, Wendy, and I'm sure the listeners would. My experience of, of seeking all these things in the wrong ways, which we're so inclined to do. In my experience, it goes back to not really believing that the Lord wants to grant the desires of my heart. And I'll quote here from my, my beloved professor and mentor, the late Monsignor Albacetti. This is so insightful, just such a bright light on the human heart. He says, all temptations come down to one temptation. It's the temptation to believe that the satisfaction of the deepest desires of my heart is totally up to me. That's when we take those desires in the wrong directions. The desires themselves are not the problem. The problem is we don't trust that the Father wants to grant the deepest desires of our hearts. And so we grasp the litany of humility is a prayer that I would stop grasping 
at the satisfaction I yearn for and learn to open my desires in humble, vulnerable trust. And, and the scripture comes to mind just in, in my saying these things. I believe it's Psalm 81. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it, says the Lord. So take all those desires you have, Katrina, to be loved, to be esteemed, to be acknowledged, to be respected, to be honored. Take all of them and open wide your mouth to the Lord. Open those hungers to him and he will fill your heart. There's a, there's a staying in the ache that is required. It's not like some magic trick. Well, I, I prayed to Jesus, and he, I still have these desires. Why? Christopher said, if I opened my mouth to the Lord, he'd fill it. Well, <laughs> it's not some instantaneous uh, magic trick. It's learning to trust. It's learning to stay in the ache. It's learning to believe in the Father's promises. Here's another psalm that comes to my mind. It's one I say to myself often in, in a day or throughout a week, I'll, I'll say it so many times to myself, I treasure your promises in my heart lest I sin against you. He really, really does want to satisfy the deepest desires of our heart, but he wants to learn us how to trust. He wants to teach us how to trust. He wants us to learn how to trust. And the original sin really is that the feeling of that ache, like, I want this, I want this, but I don't believe he's going to give it, so I'm going to, I'm going to take it. That's the original sin, that we don't believe in his gift. Mm. What are your thoughts on, on this, Wendy? I'm really grateful you looked up that um, journal from your past retreat to share with this, you know, after the cliffhanger, because I think I, I really enjoyed hearing just the, the different wording that um, felt kind of balanced and beautiful. And I think, you know, the litany of humility itself. I don't know who the author is, and maybe since it's about humility, maybe that's intentional <laughs> now that I think about it. But I, I do see a lot of insight in terms of like, you know, looking at what are the different ways that pride, which would be the opposite of humility, express themselves within. And it's the long litany. There's, it kind of gets like, whoa, this is a lot of different um, things that we're, we're praying about. Um, but I, I think there's an insight there in just the, the great variety of ways that we can become prideful and also the, the opportunities that the Lord grants us to, you know, overcome pride or to embrace humility the examples of things like when someone else is chosen and you were hoping yeah, to be chosen. Yeah. I just think that's a sweet insight because we've felt it from the earliest memory practically um, of really like, you know, frustration or ups being upset over not being the one chosen. Um, so I, I, I do appreciate the insights of the author of the litany. And I know you do too. Um, and the only thing I want to say is just Katrina talked, you spoke beautifully about opening to the Lord to, um, oh, yeah, she said about, love, but she was talking about being loved um, by her husband. Yes, the yeah. desire for the love of a spouse and for a loving marriage or love in that relationship that seemed to be kind of, is that in contradiction to this prayer of humility? And I, I don't know if you want to say anything specifically to that part of her yeah, question. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. I, I would only say 
that I think where the litany of humility shines an important light for us here, and you're right, Wendy, I do, I do appreciate all that is being said in the litany of humility, and my, my concern is that we misunderstand it, just as Katrina said, well, what about that? Am I supposed to? It's, a, it's that indication that we can misunderstand what's being said. Um, the litany of humility is not saying you shouldn't desire your spouse to love you, uh, but rather, I think the light that the litany of humility shines, the proper light, is that you, you shouldn't expect ultimate fulfillment of love from anyone but God. Uh, the best marriage can be is a glimmer, uh, a taste, uh, a sign, a sacrament of that love. Uh, if, I, if I expect you to love me perfectly, I'm making you God, and that's to turn the icon of married love into an idol. So the humble approach, as in, as to which we're invited in the litany of humility, is to recognize you can't be for me what God is for me. And as I learn to take my desires for perfect love to perfect love, then I learn to love you in your imperfections. And same for you. As you learn to take your desire for perfect love to perfect love, then you learn all the more to love me in my imperfections. That's the journey. And that takes a lot of humility. Mm -hmm. So let's pray the litany of humility, but let's understand it properly. Mm. Thank you. I think we have time for one more. We went on a little bit longer on that one, but that's, that's okay. I think that was important, and we wanted to make sure we, we addressed it. So let's do, let's do one more. Okay. I have a question from Julia. Hi, Julia. Uh, Julia says, I have a question about homeschooling. I think I've heard that you homeschooled your children. How was your experience? I'm very interested in this for my future family, and my boyfriend had a great experience with homeschooling when he was younger. Yeah. Well, maybe we should get our kids on this episode and <laughs> ask them what was homeschooling like for them. <laughs> That's not her question. What uh, do yeah. we think what about we think? it? Yeah, well, I, I'm just in hearing the question, I'm reminded of our early married years, even before we had kids, uh -huh. and when we were talking about what would we hope for, what would we desire. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, I had a real... We, we both did a real leaning towards wanting to homeschool our children uh, because we wanted to be we wanted to be the main influence in their lives. I mean, parents are always uh, big influences in their children's lives, uh, but we we wanted to take on that role. We took very seriously the the. The primary, this is a teaching of the church, that the parents are the primary educators of their children. And another very important teaching of the church is that one of the ends of marriage is the procreation and education of children. You'll always see, it's not just bringing children into the world, it's procreation and education mm -hmm. of the children. Now, parents do nothing wrong when they delegate um, to others, some of that responsibility, uh, but it's it should be understood as a delegation. Mm -hmm. the The local school teachers in your local school system 
they are not the primary educators of your children. You are as their parents, but you have, if you send your children to school, you are delegating your responsibility. Uh, and that's, that's could be a very fine way of living out that responsibility. But, you know, we live in a, in some difficult times. We live in, in an age where educators, even in Catholic schools, have largely been educated by the world and a very secular, desacralized understanding of the human person, meaning the sacred has been taken away. We wanted to raise our children with that vision. So that was the impetus for our homeschooling, largely. We weren't you know, so firm about it that they couldn't go to school. We've, we've always done co-ops and um, some of our kids have gone to public school for a few years here or there when you needed a break, <laughs> which you really needed at one point in, our, in the spacing of our children. But uh, overall, not that there haven't been trials and difficulties and pros and cons and all that, it's part of it. It's not this idealistic vision, homeschooling by any stretch. But overall, I think it's been very positive for our family. Mm-hmm. Those are my initial thoughts. Yeah. I, the whole topic of homeschooling is a big topic. There are conferences and books and all kinds of different approaches to it. Um, I appreciate this question, just acknowledging that's been part of our journey as a family. Um, it has been fruitful, I think, for our relationship with our children has been very meaningful for me in terms of actual learning. It keeps me a student because I do so much of the actual teaching in it. it. It's a wonderful thing to learn things again or to learn them for the first time. Um, and there's so much to learn. And that's kind of an excitement then, you know, our children see that we enjoy learning and, uh, and that is a help to them in the in their stage of life where they, it's not optional. (laughs) You got to be doing it, but it's optional for us and we keep doing Mm -hmm. it. Um, so, you know, that's been wonderful. I think one of the benefits that, um, many homeschooling families experience is that, uh, children from homeschooled families often don't have the kind of rigid feeling that they are only meant to be friends with people in their same age or grade they, they're friends with one another, and that transfers into other aspects of their life where other homeschool families or just friends, they feel very comfortable with interacting and enjoying people of different ages in a way that I can remember as a kid, I did go to school, as did you, that I felt like if somebody I met wasn't in my same grade, that yeah, somehow I, I wasn't meant way. to be friends yeah, with that person. Isn't that strange? You know, like, oh, well you know, she's a grade ahead of me, so there's no chance I could never be right. friends with her. You know, it's a very strange, rigid grouping. Yeah, somehow and those that I categories felt. have not existed for Yeah, and, and that's children, a neat benefit in, way, yeah. in homeschooling, that they don't feel that way. And they're more comfortable interacting with adults. Yeah, I was going to add that ages. too. There's definitely uh, sort of the sort of striation that happens with grades and the striation between children and adults. Um our kids have not grown up with those same structures. And that's been, that was a surprise to me. I I didn't necessarily expect that or even think to expect it. Yeah. And it's been, I think, positive. Mm -hmm. I once heard it said (laughs) that homeschooling kids will be just as weird as their parents. And, um, you know, that can be, that can be a good thing or, or a not so good thing. Uh, there are, our, our goal in homeschooling was not 
some strict sheltering from the world, but rather I wanted and we wanted to be the the ones who unfolded in the right way, in the right time, hopefully the right way, the right time, or at least a, a more intentional way. What is the world about? What are the evils you're going to encounter in the world? I wanted them to hear that from us. And I think there can be some unhealthy attitudes in some homeschooling circles of a, a sheltering that ends up being damaging because they go out into the world and they, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to cope with it. And yeah, that, that has not been our desire. That has not been our approach. Uh, we, we've wanted our kids to be exposed to the secular culture, but in the right way, in the right time, and, and with, God, God, please, uh, the right discernment. That's been our desire. Mm-hmm. Have we done a great job at that? We haven't done perfectly at that. But I think, again, overall, and I say this with full acknowledgement, Wendy, that the, the lion's share of the burden has been on your shoulders as the primary teacher here. Um, but yeah, I think, I think overall it's been a very positive thing for, for our family. Yeah, definitely. I, without question. It has been positive. I hope that shines some light on that for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, who, what was the name of the person who asked that question? I forgot. Julia. Julia. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Julia, for that question. We want to say thank you to everybody who submits questions. I, I'll give you a little hint. If you want to give yourself a better chance of getting your question answered on our show, the shorter, the better. Yes, as long as it includes the details that are important. Yes, of course. Give us the details that are important. But it's when we get paragraphs after paragraphs, uh, it's we're not going to be able to read those kind of questions on on the podcast. So just a little hint. Thank you again for all you guys do in supporting our show in sharing this show with others. Please, if, if you know somebody who needs to hear what you heard today, hit that little share icon and, and spread the joy, spread the love. Uh, if you are interested in supporting the work of the Theology of the Body Institute, if you could hit us up at our patron community, we'll have the link for that. That helps us tremendously to keep doing this work. We'd be thank very you. grateful for thank that. Thank you to all the patrons. Thank you. Yes, thank you, patrons. Thank you. And we want to let you know that uh, the Spanish edition of our online conference is coming up this weekend, June 26, 27, 28. We'll have a link for that as well. God bless you guys. Until next time, always remember you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.